0: On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we will be talking about the NFL schedule release, looking at some key games, primetime games. We'll also take a look at the Patriots schedule and just kind of initial thoughts on uh, what the schedule looks like. Uh, We'll also take a look at some other notes from around the league, including the Patriots bringing back Harvey Lange, so we will look into that and also this week we have an interview with uh, Mike Craddy from Black and Gold Hockey Podcast as he will uh, talk about the Bruins and the upcoming playoffs. Also do a preview of the uh, other series in the NHL as the playoffs get underway this weekend. And then we'll also uh, talk about NHL, the um, NHL coaching changes um, and what that means for each of the teams that uh, let go of some of their coaches. We will take a look at the Celtics as they are seemingly headed for uh, the play-in tournament. We'll talk about what that means. We'll talk about uh, Jalen Brown and his impact that uh, won't be felt in the playoffs as he is out for the rest of the season. So we'll talk about what that means for the rest of their season um, and just kind of some thoughts for final regular season games before the Celtics get into games that that actually matter. Um, We'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NBA as the playoffs are right around the corner. Uh, we will also get to some baseball, talk about the Red Sox, been kind of treading water a little bit recently, so we'll get into that, you know, what's kind of been going wrong for them. Uh, we'll also take a look at Hunter Renfro and some guys that are starting to uh, perform a little bit better offensively. I uh, will take a look at their upcoming schedule and then some news and notes uh, from around Major League Baseball. And then we will also take a look at the Revolution, and update after their uh, tie, against philadelphia we'll take a look at uh, what's been going right for them Um, and then we'll also get into some wnba as the season will start uh, very soon so we will get into that talk about some teams and some players to watch as their season is about to tip off let's go What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. This is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. And, folks, we got a lot on uh, this week's episode. Very excited. Uh, looking forward to um, getting you guys to listen to my interview with Mike Craddy from Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. So, um, you know, playoffs are almost underway for the Bruins uh, Saturday in Washington. So, Uh, Really looking forward to that um, interview with Mike on this week's podcast. Um, As usual, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, So really kind of the big news, other than the NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs getting underway soon, is the release of the NFL schedule, and uh, that's where we're going to start today, Um, get into that. Uh, Talk about uh, you know Patriot schedule a little bit. Um, You know I think it makes sense maybe just to you know go through some of the notable games in Week One. Then you know we'll go through Patriot stuff and then go to uh, the primetime games, which I think to me are the most important thing. So we'll go take a look at that. So uh, Week One, obviously Patriots will play the Dolphins at Gillette, just like last season. Patriots will play a 425 game at Gillette Stadium. Some of the other games in game in week one, uh, the Cowboys and the Buccaneers will open the season on Thursday night. So that will be the first game of the NFL season. Uh, Buccaneers, you know, christening in their newest uh, Super Bowl championship team. So uh, that will be very interesting. You know, I think Dallas is a team that obviously is a (laughs) very polarizing team. So it kind of made sense that they were going to be The first opponent, there were some people like, oh, would the Patriots play them week one? Well, you know, typically how it works is the Super Bowl champion gets, you know, a home game, the first game of the season. Well, that's usually how it works. It didn't work the last time the Patriots won the Super Bowl, but, you know, it was for the NFL 100th year celebration. Um, They had the Bears-Packers game, but uh, that's first game of the season. You know, I think should be very interesting. Some other week one games, the Chiefs and the Browns will have a rematch after their divisional round game um, in January. So that will be interesting to watch the saints begin the uh, post drew breeze era with a game against the green Bay Packers. Um, And then you have the jets and the Panthers playing Sam Darnold playing against his um, old team. And then the Monday night game, you have uh, Baltimore against the Vegas Raiders. So that will be uh, very, very interesting. So Uh, We will get back to some other key games and, you know, prime time and all that. But I think it made sense to look um, at the Patriots' schedule first. So um, I think at first glance, you know, it's not a schedule that looks horribly daunting. You know, obviously you have some games against teams that were pretty good last year. But, you know, I tend to think that the Patriots are going to be much improved than they were. You know, they will be much more improved than they will be much more improved from last season. Um, you know, with the newer players, with, um, you know, some of the rookies that come in that might be able to help right away. Um, I think that you'll see a Patriots team that's going to be a lot better this season. Um, And I also think that their schedule is not as daunting as it was last season. You know, maybe the teams that they played weren't exactly daunting, but they did have some stretches that, you know, really ended up being very, very difficult. Um, You know, some of it brought on by, The schedule, some of it brought on by, you know, postponements and things like that. Um, So Dolphins-Patriots week one at Gillette. Patriots then will travel to uh, the Meadowlands to take on the Jets in week two. First look we'll get at uh, Zach Wilson. So uh, definitely it'll be interesting to see, you know, you know how Bill Belichick typically does against rookie quarterbacks. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see how uh, Wilson does in that first matchup. Uh, Patriots will host the Saints in Week Three, so they will get their look, they they will get an early look at um, a Saints team that um, most likely will be quarterbacked by Jameis Winston. You know, still a very talented team in New Orleans. Um, you know, I think obviously you think about Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. You know, two of the most um, exciting players in the league. So, uh, Patriots defense most certainly will have their hands full um, in Week Three, and then they will in Week Four when Tom Brady and the Buccaneers come to town, you know, this is the game that everyone's circled on their calendar. You know, I think that this is interesting because, um, you know, typically the Patriots are a team that sometimes, you know, are slow out of the gate and have, you know, a little bit of, take a little bit of time to figure out what exactly they have. Um, and I think that's especially true this year with, um, you know, all the additions that they have from the draft and free agency, so many new faces that it's probably going to take them a little bit of time to kind of really get into their roles, you know. And then you got the Bucs. You know, you got arguably the most dangerous team um, in football in terms of offense. Um, so it's going to be an interesting two weeks for the Patriots defense in weeks three and four when you have two pretty good offenses. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do. Um, but yeah, week four, Sunday night football, Patriots, Bucks. At Gillette, going to be very, very interesting to see how that game goes. In Week 5, Patriots will travel to Houston to play the Texans. You know, is Deshaun Watson still on the team by then? You know, who knows? But the Patriots will have an opportunity to um, atone for that bad loss uh, toward the end of last season in Houston. Uh, week 6, the game that was added to the schedule um, for the 17th game, uh, the Cowboys will visit the Patriots Uh, That will be uh, interesting. I think, again, you know, another pretty good offensive team. So, you know, the Patriots are going to see some pretty good offensive teams in kind of the early part of the schedule. So that will be interesting to see, you know, how their defense responds. Week 7, Patriots will close the season series against the Jets with a home game at Gillette. Um, And then Week 8 and Week 9, Patriots will be on the road. They will play the Chargers on Halloween Patriots obviously dominated the Chargers um, in L.A. last year, 45-0. So the Chargers will definitely be looking for some redemption. And definitely, you bet you can bet Justin Herbert will definitely be looking for redemption as the uh, Patriots did a great job defensively last year against him. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. Then in Week 9, Patriots travel to Carolina. be very interesting to see uh, Camp Newton return to Carolina, assuming that he's still you know, the quarterback by that point. Um, so that will be, that will be interesting. You know, I think that unfortunately it's two kind of difficult road games. I know that the teams aren't exactly scary teams, but I think that, you know, going on the road, you never know. And I think that the Patriots are often teams that have, you know, puzzling midseason losses on the road. So I would not be surprised um, if the Patriots lost one of these two games Um, And then week 10, Patriots will welcome Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns to Gillette Stadium. That will be a very interesting game. So a tough stretch of road games, you know, and then you welcome a very, very good offensive team. Um, And then the Patriots have a short week in week 11. They will travel to Atlanta to take on the Falcons on Thursday night football. Um, So, you know, I think that that part of the schedule, those four weeks might be a little bit of a challenge. You know, you have two road games, and then you have, or you have three road games, excuse me. You know, you have a short week, and then, you know, you have that game against the Browns, which, you know, most likely is going to be a pretty good test, you know, of where the team is. And then week 12, Patriots, after having 10 days off, will welcome the Titans to Gillette Stadium. Um, And then in week 13, Patriots will play the Bills for the first time um, in the season with a Monday night game in Buffalo. So, uh, that's definitely going to be another uh, kind of springboard. Or not springboard, but kind of like a a, a, te- a good test for the Patriots. Um, and then week 14, Patriots are on a bye. So the bye week very late this season. Um, and then week 15, Patriots will play the Colts. Uh, the date of that game is still to be determined, but the Patriots uh, will be traveling for this game. Um, and then week 16, Patriots will return home to play the Bills once again, and then Week 17, Patriots will host uh, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguar and the Jaguars. Week 17, and then Week 18, um, Patriots will travel to Miami to conclude their uh, regular season. So very interesting to see, you know, what Jacksonville looks like in Week 17. You know, is Lawrence still playing? You know, keep your fingers crossed that you know he can stay healthy. Um, but that will be very interesting to see how uh, Bill Belichick does against a rookie quarterback. So a couple of high high profile rookies the Patriots will play um, this season got a couple of you know very good offensive teams in terms of talent in kind of the early to middle part of the schedule but you know I think looking at this schedule it's fair to I think it's fair to um, assume that they can win 10 or 11 games you know based on that schedule I think that some of those stretches you know might be difficult you know that they are going on the road playing some teams that are you know, good football teams playing some teams that are uh, very, you know, high-flying offenses. But, you know, I think that the defense is going to be much improved. I think that that, you know, front seven is going to be a lot better at stopping the run, and the Patriots are not going to be a team that's going to get, you know, run over um, in the run game. And so then that means that, you know, there's not as much pressure on the secondary, um, and I think that, you know, that's good. But I think that 10 or 11 wins is a reasonable – you know, expectation for this team. They will play three preseason games um, against Washington, the Giants, and I think the Eagles. I'm not actually sure on the date on that. I might be able to find that out. Yes, we are. Uh, Patriots will play their first preseason game August 12th um, at Gillette against Washington, and then the Patriots will play two more uh, preseason games in Philadelphia on August 19th. Um, and then in the Meadowlands against the Giants on August 29th. So Patriots, one home game, two road games. So each opponent from the NFC East. So the NFL, I believe, is cutting down to three uh, preseason games instead of four. So that will be, you know, interesting to see how the Patriots um, approach those preseason games. Um, I think that there is a rookie minicamp that is starting um, in the next few days. So I think that it could see Mac Jones and some of the um, some of the rookies participating because I think it's just a rookies rookies minicamp. Um, so I think looking at some of the other you know key NFL games from uh, from the schedule, um, it is worthy to note that the NFL will be back in um, will be back in London for a couple games as the Falcons play the Jets and the Jaguars will play the Dolphins. So you know that will be kind of interesting. You get Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick, going overseas to play a game. I think that that will be interesting. Um, Bills and the Chiefs will have an AFC championship game rematch in week five. Um, So that will be, I think, very, very interesting. Um, You know, I think something to watch in the early part of the season is Kansas City and their offensive line as they've um, had a lot of turnover. So um, that will be a very interesting game to watch. Uh, Chiefs and the Ravens will uh, play in Week Two, um, so those are kind of just some of the games that you know I think will be will be interesting. Obviously, um, Trevor Lawrence and um, Zach Wilson will play against each other. I believe that that's late in the season. That might be one of the last few weeks of the season. So, uh, really, kind of keep your fingers crossed that they both you know, can last that long and we can see them both duel with each other. I think that that would be uh, very, very interesting, um, Steelers and bills week one, you know, I think is going to be interesting. Um, you know, we'll kind of see where the Steelers are at. Um, I really think that you could see them not having a great year this year. You know, I think that, um, they do not have an easy schedule. You know, you really don't know about Ben Roethlisberger and his, you know, effectiveness. I did really like the draft pick of Najee Harris, Um, In the first round, I really think the Steelers were in need of kind of a big time running back, you know, so those are just some other games to watch. I think for me, it kind of makes sense to look at some of the primetime games, Um, Cowboys and Bucks, obviously that first week. Um, Other games that caught my attention, obviously mentioned the Chiefs and Ravens Um, in week two, Patriots Bucks in week four, Bills Chiefs week five. Um, you get the Seahawks and the Steelers in week six. So all of these games that I'm mentioning now are Sunday night games. Uh, you have the Titans and the Rams in week nine, Chiefs Raiders week 10, um, Bills and Saints week 11, Browns Ravens week 12. Um, and then, uh, Vikings and Packers in that last game, week 17, uh, Thursday night football, uh, first game of the season or first Thursday night game. Officially, so you know, obviously, the very first game of the season is not a Thursday night football. It's kind of a Sunday night football special edition, if you want to call it that. Um, so, some notable games on the schedule for Thursday night: um, the Jaguars and and Bengals play in Week Four. So you'll see Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence go against each other. I think that that will be very interesting. Um, you have. The Seahawks and the Rams in Week 5. You know, those NFC West games are always interesting to watch. Um, you have the Buccaneers and the Eagles in Week 6. Tom Brady against Jalen Hurts. I think that, that will be very interesting. Um, and then Patriots-Falcons, obviously, in Week 11. Cowboys-Saints Week 13. Uh, Chiefs and Chargers Week 15. Uh, Colts and uh, Raven or excuse me. There are actually two games on Christmas. You have the Browns and the Packers, and then the Colts and the Cardinals. Um, and as far as Monday Night Football, um, it was interesting that I don't believe that they are doing a doubleheader um, on that first weekend or on the first weekend of the season. But uh, it will be Ravens Raiders Week One. Um, you have Lions Packers Week Two. Raiders Chargers Week Four. Colts-Ravens week five, Bills-Titans week six, Um, Bears-Steelers week nine, Giants-Chiefs week eight, Um, Patriots-Bills obviously in week 13, Um, so something that was interesting, the Patriots only getting, I believe, three primetime games, so the Thursday night game against Atlanta, the Monday night game against the Bills, and then the Sunday night game against Tom Brady, so... Uh, Patriots will not be in the spotlight a lot this season, which I think honestly is good you know I think that this team is uh, kind of kind of needs that kind of needs to try, try to fly under the radar as much as they can um, you know I don't really think it matters because I think that you know either way guys will be ready to play but I think that there is something to be said for okay you know they're not gonna constantly be on national TV I think it's also great for us as fans that we don't have to stay up and watch the eight o'clock games because. You know, sometimes that, sometimes that can be annoying, especially on um, Monday or Thursday. Um, but I think that, yeah, you'll see a lot of afternoon games, which is great. Big fan of the 1 p.m. games. Um, so on the other NFL news, the Patriots bring back Harvey Lange, who they signed um, as an undrafted free agent in 2017. Um, only appeared in one game um, and then I think was involved in a car accident. So he did not play the rest of that season. Um, or maybe it happened in 2018. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but he's played the last two seasons with the Jets. So the Patriots bring him back. I think that it may have been a move because Cameron McGrone, the linebacker that they drafted for Michigan, uh, probably won't play this season after tearing his ACL um, in the fall. But, you know, I think Lange is a guy that is a, is a Patriot through and through, you know, undrafted free agent guy who, um, you know, is a linebacker, probably will play a lot on special teams. But I think that the Patriots, as they learned last season, you really can't have um, enough depth, I think, specifically at the linebacker position. Um, so I really like that sign. I think that that made sense. Um, some other um, NFL notes, you know, still really no resolution on the Aaron Rodgers situation. Packers did uh, bring in Blake Bortles the other day. Um, and then you had, uh, the Broncos bringing in Bobby Massey, Charles Leno, I think signing with Cincinnati. Don't quote me on that. I'm not exactly sure where he signed, but I know that he signed the other day, offensive lineman that was formerly with the bears. Um, so really not a whole lot of NFL news other than, you know, the schedule, um, you know, so I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a very interesting season for the Patriots, um, you know, really looking forward to um, you know, what the season has in store. I think that, you know, first glance, I think that they could go 11 and six. You know, I think that that's just kind of my initial kind of prediction, if you will. You know, I think that we'll know a little bit better when the season gets closer, you know, we'll have an idea of what their roster really is going to look like. Um, so that will be interesting, but yes, definitely keep an eye on the rookie minicamp. I think that will start in a few days. Um, so, without further ado, let's get to our interview with Mike Craddy. All right, and now we will uh, welcome in our guest for this week's episode, Mike Craddy from uh, Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Uh, Mike, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm super excited to talk uh, talk some playoff hockey. Yeah, me too. It's uh,
1: it's the best time of year. It's the best playoff in sp- Playoffs in sports. I'm biased, but. Yeah, I, I feel strongly about that. So
0: yeah, yeah, me too. I think that like, um, this year, just like with the whole season, all the things that like, all the teams have gone through is just awesome that we've gotten to this point. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, Bruins caps, that's going to be uh, one hell of a series. Um, so just to start off with Bruins caps, in your mind, what are like some of the biggest storylines? The
1: biggest one for sure has got to be Chara. I mean, I don't know if this is a wide consensus, but to me it's definitely Chara. There's a lot of mixed emotions of how the whole situation with him went down leading up to him going to Washington yeah. on such a cheap deal. And now fast forward all these months later, you have the chance to expose him. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as, you know, he's, he's done so much good for the Bruins, uh, with his size and his advancing age, there's no doubt that you can expose the Dan O'Chara. And ideally, if you want to win the series, you do because if you don't, he's going to hurt you. Even at um, his age, he can still lay the hammer. But that's that's the biggest storyline for me. It's it just has to be a guy that's been around for so long and done so much on the on and off the ice in Boston. I think playing against Chara first playoff round, like no, no beating around the bush. Like not even just like a second round matchup or anything right. You're facing them right away. Uh, it's just an immediate test is a measuring stick type of thing for Sweeney. You know, if, if they lose and is a big reason why in this first round, people are going to, people are not going to be happy with Sweeney and it's going to mm. create a whole fiasco. But if you do, um, if you do beat the Capitals, it doesn't look like the worst decision, even mm. though it's a guy with such you know such high magnitude in this city and such history surrounding his name
0: yeah yeah absolutely and like you know it's just so interesting that it's like for so many years we you know love watching him and now it's like okay we have to you know get like angry with him and it's like it just has been so bizarre to see like whenever like Frederick and Wilson go at it you got Chara there and it's just like I don't, it's just so strange to see stuff like that. Um, but I definitely agree that I think that, you know, d- definitely what they need to do is try to, you know, attack him and try to, you know, really kind of take the plate to him. Um, I kind of saw a little bit of that in the last game that they played with, you know, kind of the Providence guys. And, you know, I think that that's going to be interesting. Um, I think also for me, you know, the goaltending is kind of a little bit of a story, um, just because it's a really kind of experience against no experience type of thing, and I'm just curious to see how that how that plays out.
1: Yeah, the big the big thing for me too, like it, we'd be remiss to not mention Wilson. You have to think about Tom Wilson in this type of series, especially with everything going on with uh, the hit that got him suspended for seven games on Carlo. Sure. Even even without that happening in an alternate mm-hmm. universe. Uh, You still have to watch for Tom Wilson with his reputation. And although he is a dirty player and a psychopath, I mean, he is an effective player partially because of who he plays Mm -hmm. with, but he is an effective player. He's got some like legitimate speed for a big guy and can score some big goals. So for me, a big thing for this team is just matching the physicality with him, make him uncomfortable. It's hard to make him uncomfortable sometimes, but it's Mm -hmm. doable. I yeah. think we even saw it. I don't. I didn't really see many people talking about this, but it's something I noticed in that Rangers game right after when you know the the line brawl happened and all that. Mm-hmm. There was one point at least. I don't know. You know, we don't see everything that goes on, but where he actually looked frustrated, like everything going on around him, even when he got out of the box after fighting Brendan Smith, you could tell he was frustrated. Like he was annoyed cool. by it. I feel like even with his psychotic mentality and dangerous mentality, you can get in his head a little bit and maybe. Yeah. Um, contain him. And that's the biggest thing. You know, in a team, it sounds weird to talk about a team with, you know, star players like uh, Nicholas Basham and Alex Ovechkin and just a lot of good, more complimentary guys like Oshie and now Manta It mm-hmm. seems weird to talk about a guy like Wilson so much, but yeah. if he's just running around going crazy, he's going to give the team a hard time.
0: Yeah. 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 And I think like one of the things I would not be surprised if they do is. Um, put, a, put Trent Frederick in the lineup for, you know, a game at some point, you know, maybe it's not right from the start, but I think like if the Bruins sense that they kind of need some energy and they kind of need to, you know, match some of that physicality, match some of that, you know, energy, you know, maybe they put Frederick in there to kind of mess with Tom Wilson because he's, he, he's, he's gotten in Tom's head a few times this season, you know, if you've noticed the the fights and kind of the jawing on all that, that, you know, Trent kind of gets his attention a little bit
1: yeah I think I think a big thing for Frederick, a lot of this season for me has been up and down for him. I think we've seen stretches where he plays like a total maniac and it works, mm-hmm. but we've also seen stretches where it just doesn't sure I think part of it I can't say for sure because I'm not down by the bench or on the ice. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is him challenging players that are like, "I'm not taking myself off the ice for a rookie for five minutes or more um I think that factors into part of it. But I think Frederick, if he's going to be in the lineup for however many games in this series, Mm -hmm. he needs to find a balance between being a maniac and being an effective player. Because sometimes he goes a little bit overboard, and sometimes he just kind of falls into obscurity. And I think in portions of this uh, later half of the season – more recently, he's kind of fallen into that obscurity. I haven't seen that same Trent Frederick. I haven't seen him noticeable as much partially because he's playing on the fourth line, but I think if Frederick's going to be an effective player, he's going to have to find that balance between being a maniac and being an effective player at the same time.
0: Yeah. I think that's a fair point. Um, You know? Yeah. I think that it definitely would be a huge plus, you know, if he is an effective player Um, and I think also just, um, you know, the the play at five on five, I think is going to be really important in the series um, because Washington, you know, has been a team that's always really good in the power play, but especially this season, they've been really good against the Bruins. I think that their, like, percentage on the power play is, like, better against the Bruins than it is, like, against any other team. So I think that's a huge kind of key for them for the Bruins to stay out of the box
1: mm-hmm. I think a huge thing too is it's it sounds it might sound stupid but don't lose track of Ovechkin on the power play I watch yeah. I watch so many Capitals games outside of uh the Bruins mm-hmm. and of course you're a man down so it's a little easier to lose a guy like Ovechkin in that spot but don't lose track of Ovechkin <laughs> make make him a focal point please because I'd rather not see Ovechkin hammer three or four goals in maybe more this series, and I'm sure they would as well. Yeah, but I agree. for the Bruins too. I mean, we've seen more recently their power play really struggle, and that's weird seeing how much talent they have now. Even before when before they acquired Hall, yeah. the team has too much talent to be um, not productive enough on the power play, and especially against a team like Washington that has so much potential on the power play, you have to match them or else, you know, in these leverage, high-leverage potential situations when you're on the power play, and you're not converting enough, that can add up in a series against a team that's so good on the power play and just so good in general, uh, like Washington. And, you know, it can't hurt to shake a young goalie in Vanecek. I mean, he's played good. He's a guy that they probably expected to be more of a depth guy mm-hmm. early on in the season, but what happened with Lundqvist and them adding Frederick Anderson – um, he's had to play probably more than he expected and the team expected. Yeah. He's been good, but he's never experienced Stanley Cup playoffs. So, you know, you got to pepper him early on. You got to play physical, uh, make him uncomfortable in his crease. And I think if they do that and set that tone, um, they can make things uneasy for Washington.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely, definitely agree. I think like with the power play, they just got to keep things simple, you know, try to fire as many shots on goal as they can, you know, not shooting the puck every time you get it. But I think like being a little bit more aggressive, you know, is going to make sense for them and, you know, trying to test that young goalie. Um, So looking at the lineup, I don't think that there's going to be much changes. Um, You know, the first two lines, I think we think are, are set. Um, And it looks like, that third group is going to be richie coralley and and coyle what are you, what are your thoughts about that?
1: If the latest experiment of coil on the wing didn't work out uh I'd have more questions about this but mm-hmm. i i I say that in terms of the most recent stretch they've had him because in the past when they put coil on the wing, it just hasn't worked very well mm-hmm. uh he just doesn't look like the same player but in a different circumstance where it's been a tough season for Charlie Coyle, more recently putting him on the wing to try to spark him has worked. And, you know, I, I'd i be lying if I were to say going into it, I was like, oh, this just isn't going to work again. Like, why are we doing this? Hmm. But it's worked. And Sean Corrales has moved up into the lineup and fit pretty well. It's kind of given him a boost of energy. And Nick Ritchie flanking him on the left is pretty nice. Ritchie, as we know, is just really – Surprised all of us this year. Mm-hmm. Career high in goals now, yeah. seventh player award. The video the Bruins post on Instagram yesterday was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's an interesting combo. If if Coyle can maintain pace and be an effective winger, I'm not sure a lot of people expected that coming into this season. Mm-hmm. It's a good line because you got, you got a speed guy in, Cor- in Corralia in the middle that can just create havoc with his speed and intensity and net front presence. And then you have two big bodies that can move fairly well on the wings when they're on their games. And even with Coyle struggling, he can't score. He can, he can put up points. It's just a matter of wh- at when mm-hmm. and Richie, you know, we know what Richie is. He's that net front presence. He's, you know, he's more active on the four check. Now he's more noticeable and his scoring touches come through. So if they can get that going and Corrali can create havoc um, down the middle, I really like that third line. But if you're asking me, if I, expected to see that third line going to the playoffs no I definitely did not
0: yeah I don't think I did either but I think if the Bruins can get you know good consistent play from their bottom six you know I think that you know they have a pretty deep they they got an advantage over the Capitals I think in the bottom six if those guys play the way that they're capable of Um, I think it's been a good experiment to try coil on the wing again because I feel like it's kind of Simplified his game a little bit; that he's not, you know, having to be the center guy, and it's kind of encouraging him to shoot the puck more. Um, and then, as far as the fourth line, I think it looks like it's going to be DeBrusque, Lazar, and uh, Chris Wagner. I'll be honest; I'm not wild about Chris Wagner being in there, but I think that against a team like Washington, it does kind of make sense to have maybe that extra guy who can, you know, throw throw their body around a little bit and set a little bit of a physical uh, tone
1: yeah the, it's been kind of a weird season for wagner um he's more recently been in out uh, of the lineup a little bit with an undisclosed injury and mm-hmm. some maintenance But it just hasn't been the same type of effectiveness as a fourth liner for him. And in terms of points, he hasn't he doesn't have a point. I don't think since like the beginning of February, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. which you know you don't tremendously expect out of a fourth liner, but it is noticeable when it starts to get extensive when he gets goes without a point. It was the same thing with Corrali before he broke his point streak, Mm -hmm. Um, pointless streak, I should say. Um, Wagner's awesome when he's on his game, but it's just a matter of when um, he gets going because it's been a tough season for him. give uh, Kuhlman if you need him. Mm-hmm. Lazar's fit in pretty well. I have yeah. really no concerns about Lazar. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like think back to it when the Taylor Hall chair was announced at first. The first guy I mentioned was Lazar and everybody's like, this has to be Hall. Like has, Hall has to be involved too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Lazar's fit in pretty well. He's, you know he's what you want from yeah. a fourth line center. Energy, physicality, willingness to go to the net. There's really nothing I have to complain about. And Debrusque, I mean Ideally, you don't have DeBrusque in the fourth line, but at the same time, with him that low in the lineup, it can lead to interesting matchups where Mm -hmm. not many fourth lines out there have a guy with the scoring potential of DeBrusque. Has he delivered on that scoring potential this year? No, but he's a different guy in the playoffs typically, and I'm hoping even on the fourth line and the lower role and he's um, accustomed to in the playoffs – he can, you know, just use that speed and get to the net and maybe bury a few. And if that happens, I mean, you really can't feel comfortable against that fourth line. And that's just a massive advantage for the Bruins against any team they run into.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, going back to Chara a little bit, I'm going to be very interested to see what lines, you know, they're trying to use against him more. Because I think you would think Washington would try to use him against those first two lines of the Bruins. Um, But I'd be curious to see, you know, how would the Bruins choose to attack that? Like would they throw out the third or fourth line every so often, you know, just to see what they can do.
1: Yeah. Just, yeah. I think you got to just to be physical. I mean, Char is a big guy, but you can make him uncomfortable if you're physical enough and a huge part of Char's effectiveness lies in the penalty kill. And luckily for the mm-hmm. Bruins, as I'm sure he knew um, during his time here, the Bruins have a pretty good penalty kill that can, has scoring capability um, mm. in a shorthanded regard. Mm-hmm. And in that event, Marshon and Bergeron just need to make life hell for Chara. They mm. really do because we've seen what Marchand especially can do on the, on the penalty kill um, outside of just being the best all around Bruin this season.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a, that's going to be a difficult area to, you know, make it hurt for Chara. Yeah. But if they can it's just a massive advantage. Anytime you're scoring a shorthanded goal, it's a nice added bonus and can end up being a big play in the game, it can be a difference maker. But especially in the playoffs when you, you can get that against such a prominent, um, dominant rhyming here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Penalty kill defenseman, just defenseman in general, uh, mm-hmm. it's just an added bonus. And I think that's probably one of the biggest priorities on casting in the coaching staff's mind is how do they want to attack chara because Mm -hmm. he's talked to the media about you know what he knows about this team and what um, they know about him so it's just going to be a matter of you know who can who can send the troops at uh chara better or you know on the other side if they can utilize chara against us better than we can against them so
0: yeah i think it was interesting you know just i think it was something in the paper that oh you know chara you Knows played or, you know, might have like, I don't know if like secrets is the right, right word to like play against the Bruins, but it's like, they have played each other eight times this season. I'm not really sure that there's, you know, any more, any more stuff going on. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the defense, you know, I think that we're pretty comfortable in, you know, identifying who the six guys are going to be that are going to play. But I think this series in particular, we'll probably see a lot of mixing and matching.
1: Yeah, it's possible. Um, I like the idea. If anybody follows me on Twitter, they know I like the idea of Griswick and McAvoy. I'm huge for that pairing. Uh, I just, I think when they're on their game, they're absolutely an elite defensive pairing in the hierarchy of the NHL, one of the best pairings in hockey. Mm -hmm. Um, Riley and Carlo have had had a few gaffes a little bit late in the season, but overall, I think when you get them going, if, you know, I think. I say when because I have more confidence that they can than they can't get that um, mm-hmm. pairing going. I think that just has really good potential. Riley is a tremendous puck mover. He knows how to activate in the defensive zone or the offensive zone, rather, and just really make plays. He's strictly an assist guy, as we've seen. He's not big on goal scoring, but maybe that'll change in the playoffs. Yeah. I think that combination, once they get going, are just, you know, it's tremendous. I think that. Preparing his tremendous potential, and then Lozon, I like part of the reason I like Grizzly so much on the top pairing is because I think Lozon is better fit for lower minutes this early in his career. I think it's going to end up being fine for him, but I think to ease him in, it's gonna it's gonna help him to play third pairing minutes for a guy like Lozon. I think playing top pairing minutes um, in the playoffs against a team like Washington, he could have struggled, and maybe we see that at some point, but. I don't know. I feel much more comfortable with Lozon on the third pairing. I think him and Miller have been all right together when we've seen them. And, um, I think they both have potential to be a good physical pairing. Yeah. So overall, I'm pretty comfortable with it. You know, with Miller's knee, if you need to slot in, um, Clifton every once in a while, that's fine. But I just prefer Miller at this point. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm just more comfortable with him than Clifton. I love Cliffy hockey, but I'm just a little more comfortable with, um, Miller's style than Clifton, to be honest. Yeah, and then you have T- Tenorti and Zaboral if you need them. I think Tenorti has been a pleasant surprise this year. Yeah, he's got his cast aside on waivers by the by the Predators. Uh, hasn't had a tremendous amount of success in his career so far, but he's kind of just played his role and he's actually been like a decent puck carrier, which I didn't really expect for him. Yeah. Especially we saw that in the game with the pretty much AHL team out there on yeah. the Curtis Lazar's goal where he activated. In the f- defensive zone, I think tenorti has been good and definitely makes things more reassuring if you are going to need depth on the defensive end. But overall, with the top six, I'm pretty comfortable with it.
0: Do you have any concerns about um, you know Grizzly on the top pair with McAvoy and you know the Capitals? You know are super physical. Do you have any concerns about the Capitals being you know overly physical and you know a guy like Grizzly could have some issues?
1: I'd be lying if I were to say I didn't. I Overall, I'm more comfortable than I am uncomfortable about Krizlik. I'm okay. um, on the top pair, but I think to be effective and to make that not a problem with the physicality aspect, they just have to work to their strength. Yeah. Quick puck movement,
0: mm-hmm. You
1: know, no diddle-daddling in the in the neutral zone. They're, that pairing, especially their effectiveness is in the neutral zone, getting pucks through and um, generating offense potentially chances off the rush for their forwards mm-hmm. i think they just need to move move pucks quick and smart because if they don't um the big boys on on washington are going to make it hurt they're going to create turnovers and potentially goals yeah. so if they if they work to their strengths i really don't have uh, tremendous concern for griswick mm-hmm. on the top pair and that pairing as a whole because you know it's just been it's just been instantaneous when When they're together, they're just so fun to watch, and like I said, I think they're an elite defensive pairing when they're together, and obviously that that helps back to their BU days, and they've been together for a while, so they're pretty familiar with each other. I think that comfortability uh, was just huge when you have such a young defensive core overall, still, even after adding Mike Riley, who's somewhat older, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that that top pairing is just putting you in your best position to succeed. You need a you need a facilitator of a pairing um, that can move pucks to the neutral zone and work with your top guys so effectively. And that's the best group they have, mm-hmm. best tandem to uh, do so. Yeah,
0: um, I think as far as like keys to the series, I think we mentioned that you know that five on five. You know, they've the Bruins have been really good at five on five recently. I think ever since getting Hall. Um, but I think it's important for them to try to stay at five on five as much as they can, you know, and not go to the penalty box. I think that that's huge. Um, But then, you know, taking advantage of your power plays I think also is, is huge. But I think for them is don't get, you know, into the kind of like all that nasty stuff with Wilson. And I'd be lying if I said that they're not going to get into it, which they will, but I think they just have to be, you know, smart about it and not be, taking those extra penalties that give Washington, you know, extended power play looks. Yeah. And
1: that has to be a, that has to be a point of emphasis for Cassie. It's kind of just, I feel like he's got to be kind of wanting the team to balance, you know, sticking up when they need to against guys like Wilson
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, being smart because you don't want to take penalties. Um, the biggest thing for the Bruins in the power play, too, outside of obviously scoring, when this team struggles on the power play, it's been that way for years. Oftentimes, it's just one too many passes, trying to be too fancy. If you do that in the in the playoffs, like you can get away with it a little more in the regular season, mm-hmm. but in the playoffs, and you mess up, and it turns into a goal or like a long-extended offensive zone stand for Washington, mm-hmm. it's magnified way more. You have to simplify things. You have enough talent to be able to score goals with simple passing, just shots through traffic, whatever. You don't have to overcomplicate things. And yeah. you know, going back to the point I mentioned, if, if you overcomplicate things, it can really come back to bite you and mm-hmm. you, know, you don't have as much, as much leeway with that type of stuff in the playoffs.
0: Are there any other keys that we haven't talked about that you think are important for the series?
1: I think, you know, with the second line, Obviously, we know them as the, the trio now of Hall, Krejci, and Smith. I think a big thing outside of, you know, since the trade deadline, it's mainly been Hall and Krejci, everybody talks about. And rightfully so, because they're just fantastic as a duo. But I think what makes Craig Smith um, complement them so well, especially late in the season, is his willingness to create chances in close proximity to the net. Um mm-hmm. His big thing since he came here is a high volume shooter, you know, effective player, made that third line in Nashville extremely effective, better than a lot of teams' second lines. And part of where his effectiveness lies mainly since the, you know, since that resurgence he had towards the second half of the season, even though he struggled mainly in the first, um, has been getting to the net. Getting in front of the net, and especially um, that game where he had the hat trick. All three of those goals were in very close proximity to the net, mm-hmm. and just making things happen and being diligent. You know, being open, making yourself available. And if he wants to complement that line in the playoffs, he needs to do the same, and just you know, be available. Those are the two top skill guys. Nothing to take away from him, but he's the best net front, close net front guy in that line. And if he's doing much of the same, keeping himself available, um, he's going to be a really effective player on that top line. Or the second line rather
0: yeah yeah I definitely agree um, I think that also just like his ability to um, just like get after pucks and puck retrieval and just be so aggressive on the forecheck you know has been a really underrated part of his game um, this year so I look forward to, to him having a, a good series um, as far as a series prediction you know I want to say that I think the Bruins you know if they play their game should win the series in, you know, six or so, maybe five, but I just, I don't know. there's something that I'm concerned about with Washington, that they're going to be able to kind of knock the Bruins off their game a little bit, um, you know, and steal some games. Um, so that's why I think it's going to go seven, but I think the Bruins just, I just think that they, they make enough plays to win the series um, I really can't see any way that they don't win the series, you know unless something unforeseen happens,
1: yeah, I think Washington's a super tough out. I'm going Bruins in seven because I think it's just gonna be you know it's just gonna be hell. this series is gonna be hell it's gonna be super physical and although the Bruins have improved so much it's you know it just gets to a point where you play a team like Washington and mm-hmm. some games you just you just straight up lose because mm-hmm. um you just you know it happens it happens in the playoffs when you have two teams that i think are very evenly matched
0: Mm -hmm. i don't
1: see this being like i don't see this series ending in five games it's it's six or seven guaranteed i'm going with seven because i think it's just going to be a back and forth uh boxing match and man it's it's going to be fun if you know if the if the extracurricular can you know stay somewhat limited nobody's getting hurt hopefully Mm -hmm. um that's a big that's a big if, yeah um, this series is gonna be a lot of fun, and ideally the Bruins win, but I'm going Bruins in seven. I think they can pull it off um I bet i if you listen to you know my content in the past or follow me on Twitter, I bet I bet on the Bruins every year, I bet I go all in yeah um, so this might not be surprising to some people, but there's you know going all in on a team you know, like Bruins seems that they've had in the past, but yeah. then there's just another dimension with that second line this year. Two is still fantastic um, despite what the haters will say okay. and I think they're set up really well they have that they have that dimension that they've been missing for so long yeah. and I think that's going to be the main x-factor if that, if that second line or even the top line isn't on their game it's going to be really tough and I don't I don't see them faltering here I see um, having that stability and having a more rigid top six than in years past being the x-factor as to why they win this series yep why I'm sticking with Bruins in seven. I think Washington can win this series, but I'm leaning more towards the Bruins.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. I just think that the way that they've been playing since the deadline, it's just like, I don't know if there's a team that I can look at and say this team would definitely beat the Bruins. Like, I really yeah. think that they can beat anyone the way they're playing right now. That's yeah, um, much
1: harder to say.
0: So moving a little bit, moving away from the Bruins and looking at, uh, Pittsburgh and the Islanders um what are what are some of your thoughts for that series I really think the Islanders like if there's a number
1: one seed that I think of losing the first round and you know for Bruins fans this might be crazy because Toronto's the number one seed Never a lot of people just assume Toronto's gonna lose in the first round yeah um I think if any team's gonna lose in the first round I think it's gonna be Pittsburgh mm-hmm. the number one seeds yeah um The Palmieri addition hasn't worked out, I don't think, as they've hoped um, with the Islanders. But I think Pelic and Pulak are are solidifying themselves as one of the top defensive pairing. They're still that, even outside of them, that defensively oriented team. I think Semyon Verlamov doesn't get enough appreciation. He wins games for them. Um, With that defensive style, you obviously need a, a good goalie that can hold up. Um, To that style. I think Varlamov's just a huge advantage. I think Tristan Jari's good. I think Casey DeSmith is good as well, but yeah. they just don't compare to Varlamov. They don't have the defensive structure of the Islanders. You know, Chris Latang, even though he gets older, I'm not a Chris Latang fan for anybody who knows me. He still <laughs> had a really nice season. Um, this year, he's still an effective player. You know, they have a good defensive core, but um, the Islanders just have a better one. I think they have enough firepower up front, even though some people seem to think, you know, they're more lackluster. They're not that fun um, for the Islanders. I think they have enough firepower up front to keep up with Pittsburgh. That's, you know, expecting – Crosby not go to completely bonkers and take over the series but you know with a guy that's that talented he obviously can he's one of the best players to ever play the game uh, but I think if there's any team to lose in the first round it's the Penguins and that might surprise some people
0: hmm. yeah you know I think that it's it's a series that I think it's going to be difficult for Pittsburgh because I think this is not a team that they wanted to see Um, a team that I think knows them well. And, you know, a team that beat them in the playoffs two years ago um, and kind of made it look easy. I think that, you know, they're a team that plays such structured defense and they want to try to win games, you know, two to one or one to nothing. And I think that that's a problem for Pittsburgh because I don't think that they do well when, you know, they have to play in low scoring games. I mean, sure that they've won some, low scoring games this season. You know, I beat the Bruins one, nothing a couple of weeks ago, but um, I think the Islanders are going to create problems. I just, I don't know. I, I, for some reason think Pittsburgh's going to win. I think that, you know, Crosby and Malkin and looking at their, their top three lines, you know, it's some guys who really are very strong offensively, but um, you know, if they're, if they, if, if the Islanders make this a low scoring series, I think they win the series, but yeah. If Pittsburgh can get, you know, big goals, I think that they win. But I kind of go I kind of go back and forth on this series.
1: Oh, me too. I, I'm confident that Pittsburgh, you know, is the, the, mo- the number one seed most likely to lose, in my opinion. But at the same Pretty time, fair. you know, with what they've been able to accomplish in the playoffs in the past, obviously multiple Stanley Cups and just a, a formidable group still, mm-hmm. uh, you can never fully rule them out. But I think a big X factor for the, the Penguins, too, is Brian Rust. Brian Russ has just proven to be a very, a very clutch playoff performer. Some people call him the Justin Williams 2.0. Yeah. Um, he's one of those guys that I watch and I just, you know, I wish he was on the Bruins. You know, mm-hmm. him, like, like TJ Oshie, you know, I'm a big fan of Manta as well, ironically, both on the Capitals, yeah. um, just to name a few. I think he's a huge X factor. If he can just run wild, I think he can make things a lot easier for the Penguins, but I can't say for sure that's going to happen. Um, I have, I, You know, I have the Islanders winning, but I wouldn't be—I'd be lying if I said were to say it was like a lock or anything, or just like I'm super confident. But like I said, if there's anybody to win to upset a number one seed in the first round, I think it's going to be the Islanders upsetting the Penguins. But I have I have the Islanders in seven. It's not going to be easy.
0: All right, I I got Pittsburgh in six in that series. Um, In the Central, uh, Florida and Tampa Bay. That's going to be a fun series to watch too uh florida teams going at it for the first time i think ever um the panthers you know i like what they've done this year i think that they've been a really fun and exciting team to watch but without like have not having ekblad i think is going to be a big a big issue for them yeah Um, yeah i
1: agree yeah it's like i want to buy in on florida yeah because they're one of the teams that didn't expect to make the playoffs and they did um, I think what they've done overall is pretty remarkable. I just didn't feel like that was a playoff team mm-hmm. after losing Huberto and Dodonov. Um, not Huberto and Dodonov, excuse me, Hoffman and Dodonov. Um, I thought this, I thought it would hurt them more. Obviously, like you mentioned, losing Ekblad, they've been okay without him. But mm-hmm. ideally, in a perfect world, you have him running into the playoffs and just running into Tampa in the first round. That's just a tough get, yeah. even with you know Nikita Kucherov is coming back right on time, but. There's no guarantee he's fully healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, If they can exploit Goudreau, that'd be a huge advantage for them. But I think Mm -hmm. Tampa is just too powerful. Um, I think David Savard hasn't been the flashiest addition yet, but they gave up a lot to get him. And he's been a really good um, stay-at-home guy, one of the better ones in the league, in my opinion, for like a few years now. So I think if he can gel in the playoffs, it just makes a scary Tampa team even scarier.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I also just think like, Vasilevsky just is so good that it's like, like it, when when he's on his game, he's almost unbeatable. Yeah, he looks and like I, he's
1: eight feet tall sometimes. Yeah. he doesn't even look like,
0: it's crazy. like a normal
1: human being goaltender. He just looks like a specimen in there.
0: Yeah, um, but I will say it'll be fun to watch Florida. Fun to watch Barkov. Um, mm-hmm. cause they they are a fun team to watch. They've been a lot of fun to watch this whole year. Um, yep. And you get to watch Frank Frank Petrano. So old friend Frank Petrano. Watch him play. Um, So I got Tampa Bay in six in in this series. Yeah, I have Tampa Bay in five. I think they're going
1: to be able to beat Florida fairly handily.
0: So it's interesting that you mentioned that, um, you know, you feel that Pittsburgh's the one seed that's most likely to lose. I think I would agree with that, but I also think that – I know this is going to sound totally insane, but I think that the Nashville Predators are going to make this series interesting against Carolina. Really? Um, I just, I don't know. And maybe it's just I've been sucked in watching them play the last couple of weeks, but um, it's something about watching them play and watching them feed off that crowd that, you know, it's, they've, they've just been playing really well recently. But again, Carolina just is so skilled and so fast. And, like can beat you in so many different ways, but um, I don't know. I have this feeling about Nashville that I think that they've been, you know, kind of they had a really you know bad start to the season. They were in like sixth place in the division at one point, um, but I don't know. There's there's something about that team that I think that this series is going to be closer than people think.
1: Yeah, they've got that kind of chip on their shoulder. You know, sounds cliche mentality not just because they struggled at the start of the season, but this is a team that hasn't had tremendous playoff success outside of going to the cup once in most recent years. So that has to fuel them. They still have, you know, some of those guys uh, from those groups um, intact in the core, but when it comes down to it um, I think they can make things interesting, but I have Carolina in six. I think Carolina just really has a great group right now. Dougie Hamilton is, you know, potentially put it together a Norris trophy season. In my opinion, more, you know, him, Adam Fox, Victor Hedman are going to be some of the top guys in the mix for that, I think. Yeah. Um, and they're just so strong. They have Terravina back now. They missed him. Well, they've had him for a little while now, but they missed him for a lot of the season. Yeah. I think with that svechnikov Aho, in line, it's together. They're one of the better lines in the league. So much speed and high-end skill. Um, I think they've just really put together some good depth for the past few years, their hallmark has been their defensive core and how deep they are every year mm-hmm. and how they're, they're seemingly never satisfied. You know, they're always willing to add depth, and now they've got a young guy that I like in particular, Jake Bean in the fold. who's in the same draft as McAvoy. Mm-hmm. Is it McAvoy or DeBrusque? I forget. What, it was one of those two drafts, but I've always liked him since his draft year. Yeah. And I think they're just really set up better than they've been in past years, and I think they're just going to be too much for Nashville and uh, – the bunch of jerks have a have potential to make a run this year, but I don't know. I can't say for sure they're going to make a deep run, but th- yeah. it's an exciting group. When they're on their game, um, they're just super high octane and uh, hard to contain.
0: Yeah, I think my only concern about them is the goaltending. You know, and mm-hmm. who's it going to be? Is it going to be? Is it going to be Mrazek? Is it going to be Nadelkovic? Um, you know, I just I don't know. There's something there about the goaltending that I think. This could be a series that um, Soros could play really, really well and could possibly steal a couple games. Um, I don't really think I'm picking this series on logic. Like, I think logic would tell you that Carolina should win in five or six, but there's always some crazy upset in the playoffs. um, And there's always crazy stuff that happens. Um, so if I'm going to pick some crazy stuff, I think I'm picking Nashville to win the series. I know it's going to sound insane and they'll probably get swept, you know, with all my luck, but um, <laughs> I think it's going to yeah, be, honestly. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, but there's also a part of me that wants to see Carolina win. Cause I want to see Carolina and Tampa play each other um, in the next round. So yeah. Excited to, That'll to be fun. Yeah. Um, so as far as the, the North playoffs, you have Toronto and Montreal. You know, I think that, Toronto probably should win the series rather easily but with the t- with how they've struggled in the playoffs in the past I just really don't know but I also just there's something about Montreal that I just I don't know if they're maybe as good as they were maybe going into the bubble last season you know when they beat Pittsburgh
1: yeah the, the thing about Montreal is they kind of teased us at the start of the season whether you're a fan or not yeah um People were kind of hot and cold on whether they wanted to buy in on the hot start for Montreal or not. Yeah, I bought in before the season. I one of my bold predictions was them winning the division. It looked good at the start, but mm-hmm. it did not uh, materialize as we know now. Mm-hmm. I think this team is capable of more, but if they don't get more to that you know state where they were at the beginning of the season, I think Toronto is going to beat them. You know, Toronto has their has their first round woes, but. I don't think Montreal overall has been playing particularly well at the late half of the season too, but at the same time they have had that injection of uh, goal scoring and speed with Cole Caulfield. I'm interested to see how he does in the playoffs. Cause he, as much as he's a Canadian and you know, we hate the Canadians around here. He's so fun to watch. I can't oh, deny yeah. it. Um, I just can't, but I think Toronto even though, you know, they struggle in the past and a team they can beat, they have beaten uh, a few times this year. I think they're going to end the first round woes and uh, beat Montreal in six here.
0: I, I think so, too. I think that, you know, I know people will say, oh, you know, it's the playoffs and, you know, it's different than the regular season. But I mean, they've played Montreal, what, nine, 10 times already. And it's like, there's no reason to believe that I think this will be any different. I think that toronto and you know matthews have been tremendous you know goal scoring and all that and i think you know they should be able to win the series i don't really see any way that montreal wins a series you know unless um you know carrie price gets back in there and is you know healthy and steals some games but i just think toronto the way that they're playing offensively there are very few teams that can keep up with them and yeah. i think montreal's only hope is to you know Keep these low-scoring games as much as they can. But I don't know if they're going to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, and for Montreal, the pressures on the two top new guys um, they added in the offseason, big time. Anderson's had a bit of an up and down um, stretch, more in like the second half of the season, I believe. Yeah. Um, to fully, you know, he was uh, missing time due to injury, more towards like the midpoint of the season. But overall, if they can get him going, we've seen for the majority of this season. He's just—he's becoming a very, very formidable goal scorer, mm-hmm. and for a team that I feel like offense can dry up, oftentimes this season, I think it's just—it's just massive for him and Anderson to be on their games. Anderson adds that physical aspect too. We've seen him at the top of his game; uh, he can really be an effective physical presence. And yeah, it's just—it's all about Carey Price too. We—we we can't mention the um, the halves without Carey Price. Mm-hmm it's been a tough past few years. He hasn't been that, you know, consistent elite four we've seen from him in past um, in the past before then. But if he, if he can lock in for the playoffs, Toronto's going to have a really tough time because if they, if they have care price locked in, I think Toronto is is just going to be shell shocked by that. And I don't have tremendous amount of faith in Freddie Anderson. He's been hurt this year and he, you know, even when he was healthy, he wasn't great. Jack Campbell's been a great story this year, but there's no guarantee he's going to carry that into the playoffs. But, Overall, like we've alluded to earlier, I think this is the year Toronto breaks the first round curse and beats Montreal in six. How do you, how many games do you think this is um, going to?
0: I'm I'm going crazy here, but I think Toronto sweeps them, honestly. Wow. Yeah.
1: I, I'm always hesitant about sweeps in the first round. Anytime I do a bracket challenge, I like never pick sweeps. I don't know. It's just like a personal philosophy.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, I'm one of those people that I will go back and tinker. So I probably will, but I still expect Toronto to win the series. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think that offensively, they're just too much of a powerhouse right now. Um, Speaking of offensive powerhouses, the uh, Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid, fresh off in a hundred point season, uh, will play the Jets in round one. I'm really excited to see McDavid uh, perform in the playoffs with, with dry I think that uh, they could put up some big numbers in this series.
1: Yeah, and that's obviously the X factor for Edmonton. The, the large portion of their offense comes from McDavid and Dry especially McDavid. 100 points in 53 games is just completely absurd. It makes you wonder what, you know, even though the divisions might be different next year, what he could do in a full season next year because he's, I think he's definitely capable of 120, 130 point seasons, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's their X factor. And even though, you know, Mike Smith has surprisingly had a good season overall in that. I'm really not that confident in Mike Smith mm-hmm. because he's just so old and he yeah. has, you know, outside of this year, he's had some tough seasons in the more recent past. Uh, but I think an underrated thing for Edmonton, it hasn't always been the point production is Pooley Yarvi coming back has been a really effective player for mm. them. I think they've rounded out things fairly well in the forward court. Tyson Berry's been a really nice addition, especially on the power play. So if you know, if you're Winnipeg, you do not wanna <laughs> you do not want to go to the penalty kill in this mm-hmm. series very often. But I think, you know, the huge thing is you can't go you can't talk about Edmonton without the top guys. If yeah. if McDavid and Dreisidel can take over this series, they can win the series for Edmonton alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, They're I think so good. too. I think that Winnipeg has been one of the teams that has just kind of limped into the playoffs. Um, They're not playing great, you know, over the last 10, 12 games. Um, I just don't know how they're going to win this series. You know, I think that most likely, you know, we talk about Mike Smith. He probably won't be like, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal if he's not at his absolute best in this series. Like, I still think they could win the series. Despite him, but I do think that, like, for them going deeper in the playoffs, they'll go as far as Mike Smith takes them.
1: Yeah, uh, I th- it's going to be super interesting to see how it balances out yeah. because there are undoubtedly going to be games where McDavid and don't need to win them, like, yeah. pretty much on their own because right. they're just that good. You can never completely rule them out of a game, but yeah, we know what Mike Smith is capable of in the past, he's not exactly the most rigid goaltender out there mm-hmm. um, even though he's had a good season this year um, so yeah, I mean if he struggles they're gonna you know make <laughs> David and Dreisaitl are gonna have to do more uh, caring of the team than they might have expected and the big thing for Winnipeg too is I actually saw this morning that Nikolai Ehlers is potentially playing a game one he's been injured to start the season i think he's an extremely underrated player he's another one of those guys that'd be like a dream brew and he's just so fast and so crafty he makes Mm -hmm. things happen in such tight windows i think and he's really 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 good at driving offense um i think if winnipeg can get him back for game Mm -hmm. one or or as early as possible it's just a huge added bonus because he he just makes that team better um Mm -hmm. This is another thing, like you mentioned with Nashville, Winnipeg, when, when that place is buzzing, we saw the whiteout in Winnipeg and mm-hmm. uh, one of their first years back since they came um, to beat the Jets again. That building is just bonkers when it is, um, you know, they won't be able to be fully packed this year, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's still going to be loud. Um, they can make that a tough place to play for uh, McDavid and Drysidle, but overall, I think McDavid and Drysidle are going to carry the weight in this series, and, um, end up taking it for the Oilers. I have them winning in six over Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, I have them in six too. Um, I think that, you know, if Mike Smith doesn't play well in this series and the Jets can score a lot of goals, you know, it could possibly get out of hand for Edmonton. Um, but I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that, you know, they'll, they'll be fine in this series. But I think that, like, if, if they are going to get past like the second round Mike Smith needs to like steal some games uh, for them to go further I just I don't know how far they can get with McDavid and Dreisaitl like you might be Mm -hmm. you probably will be able to get out of the first round fairly easily I just don't know about any further than that
1: yeah it's gonna be tough but I think a thing for Winnipeg too is you know delivering on that Added center depth they've had because it hasn't been like a a superstar star-studded season since Dubois has got there. But if mm-hmm. Dubois can complement Shifley and Adam Lowry, who I think is very good as well mm-hmm. as a big third-line center, I think that center depth can really make things hard for um, Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I think Winnipeg can't win this series, but I'm you know it's another one of those things. I'm just leaning a bit more towards Edmonton, mainly yeah. in this case because of the star power. You just can't ignore it.
0: Um. So. Speaking of star power, the uh, Colorado Avalanche wrapped up the President's Trophy last night, so they'll play uh, the Blues in round one. Um, this Colorado team has been so much fun to watch all year. Um, I think both them and like Vegas have been two of my be- favorite teams to watch. Um, just so many different ways that they can beat you. Um, I think that St. Louis like could make this interesting, but I just... I don't know how – I don't know if they're going to be able to score enough to win to win this series.
1: Yeah, that's that's where my issue lies too. I also think, you know, a oh, salty Bruins fan. I think Jordan yeah. Bennington's a fraud goalie. Yeah. Um, and Colorado's just juice. They got Brandon Saad for essentially nothing. Yeah. You can say what you want about Nikita Zadorov. I don't think he's a very good player. Mm-hmm. I think he's just kind of a big physical defense and some puck moving ability. But not only that, you can say what you want about him. Colorado didn't really need him. Like, look at their defensive core now. Do mm-hmm. you think they're like hurting because of not having Nikita Zadorov? No. True. They got a guy in Brandon Saad. There were some low end prospects involved in the deal, too. Yeah. One Stanley Cup's been an effective player for essentially nothing. They, you know, a guy they can afford to replace and immediately did. And then they get jo- Devontae's for draft picks. Devontae's is like a better version of Matt Grizzlick, and he is also mm-hmm. in the Norris discussion. Um, in the minds of some, that defensive core, everybody thinks of their offense uh, mainly, but they're, they've just got so much dynamic skill on the defensive end. Devontae is just fantastic. Um, Kale McCarr is the most absurd defenseman I think I've ever watched play hockey, and I know that might be early to say, but there, there's just never been a defenseman quite like him. Mm-hmm. Lateral movement skills, footwork, hockey IQ, speed—he's strong as hell too. I mentioned this on Twitter. I went to, a, you know, this is just one example, but I went to, you know, when I went to Merrimack, they they came to Merrimack once, and Adam, Adam, no, not Adam, I um, almost mentioned the wrong player. Alfred Larson, six foot five player, has the puck and um, run. No, Mc, McCarr has the puck behind the net. I'm mixing up the story. Larson just runs in, uh, Adam at the corner to forecheck. Six foot five player versus Kale McCarr and he j- he just bounces right off McCarr. I mean he's a he's made of steel. He he is a defenseman really without flaws, mm-hmm. and he just complements the team with such high end skill with McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, Burakovsky has been a really nice fit since they got him. Mm-hmm. They've reinvigorated Valerian and into a potential Selkie winner, but wing- wingers just don't win the Selkie. So, mm-hmm. but he's very good in all three zones. Eunice Donskoy, even Tyson Jost, they're they're just so deep. They're so, so deep. And their defensive core, Ryan Graves, has been really nice. And Grubauer is a potential Vezina winner. Um, I saw this coming into the season, and like I mentioned, those trades, they're really not giving up much to get them. And with Taze, not giving up anything off their roster, only draft picks. They just got way better, and they were already really good last year. I said bet the house on Colorado at the start of the season, and I'm I'm sticking with it. I think they beat – if there's a sweep, we were talking about sweeps earlier. If there's mm. a sweep in the first round, it's Colorado over St. Louis, yeah. but uh, I'm going Colorado in five. I think they're going to beat St. Louis pretty handily. They're just not the same team, St. Louis. Yeah. Um, they're just, they just don't have as much oomph as they've had in the recent past. Mm-hmm. I think you, know, you can say what you want. The Bruins to have won that series, but yeah, you know, they still had some talent. They wanted for a reason mm-hmm. um, as much as it sucks, but, Yeah. I just don't think they have it this year. They're not the same exact team and sucks for Tori Krug and the blues, but I have them losing pretty handily in the first round.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. You know, I think that there might be one team, two teams out there that maybe could match Colorado in terms of talent. But um, yeah, I don't really think St. Louis has much of a shot um, to really even win a game. You know, I like Colorado in five, but I think that this is going to be a series that will be over fairly quickly Um, Mm -hmm. so the final first round series uh, one that I'm probably most excited to watch other than the Bruins um, is Vegas and Minnesota Minnesota's been uh, electric to watch I mean Kaprizov's been amazing Um, they've been like one of the better like stories of the season I think other than Florida like those are two teams that really me personally I didn't expect much from them at the start of the season but Uh, They've been playing really, really well recently. Um, And then Vegas, obviously, has been on top of their game pretty much all season. Um, I think this is going to be a really exciting series.
1: Yeah, Vegas just keeping the ball rolling. They've been so wildly successful since they came into the NHL. In Minnesota, that was, you know, if I had to pick a sleeper early in the year, and I did – um, to make some noise this year it's Minnesota I thought they were a guaranteed playoff team I thought they got better part of that is because I was expecting Marco Rossi to be in the full but he's had a lot of COVID complications um, so he hasn't been able to play first round pick of theirs this past year but overall they've just been really good Joel Erickson Eck has become a much better player much more well-rounded player as they'd hoped picking him in the first round not too long ago Um, They've really just rounded that forward core out. I think Nick Benino is still an underrated addition there. Um, He's won cups. I think he's a good bottom six center. And they've just become a much more excited team. And that's largely because of Kaprizov. He's Mm -hmm. he's got that elite dynamic skill superstar potential he's showing already. Um, They still have that formidable defensive core uh Spurgeon Ryan Suter even though he's getting older is still a serviceable top four defenseman um I think they've got a really nice setup in front of um Talbot or Cock and then if they go with the committee they'll probably just go with Talbot though Talbot's been a nice fit for them too because probably because that structure but you know he's not been the worst goalie but kind of a goalie that you know you can never really buy in on completely but he's found a nice fit um Minnesota I really like that group um I think they've finally become fun to watch But Vegas is just too much for me here for them. But I have them taking it to six. I think, you know, they'll make some noise in this series, but Vegas will in the end just be too much. And Talking about goalies, I mean, they've got Marc-Andre Fleury, who at his, you know, as he gets older, is still playing very well, has won multiple Stanley Cups. This is a team that sniffed a Stanley Cup in their first year in the league. They're going to be hungry for it again. I, I really just don't see a scenario where they lose in the first round, but Carrillo thrill in the Minnesota wilds were now fun could, uh, could prove me wrong, but I have Vegas and six here.
0: Yeah. I, you know, the playoffs don't make sense. And like, I feel like I have always picked like very conservatively in these um, whenever I've done brackets, but I don't know. I just have this feeling that Minnesota gets out of the first round somehow um, and Talbot, you know, plays well enough, and they're able to, you know, withstand Vegas's attack. But I just hate that Minnesota has to, had to play either Colorado or Vegas in the first yeah, round, and tough. it's like I, I want to see them succeed. I want to see them go deep. Um, this is a series that I'm probably going to change my mind on a million times, um, just because Minnesota's played so well recently, but Vegas has been the most i think has been the most consistent team from start to finish in the regular season Um and you know they're hungry like you said so i think this is going to be a series that i think goes the distance but it could just be a, a bounce or two that goes in either team's direction um, yeah. but yeah i like minnesota because i'm going going crazy with the bracket this year i <laughs> um, love it i love it so what do you think the final four is going to look like? What do you think, or which team do you think is going to make it out of each of the divisions?
1: I am hesitant on the North Division because of what we talked about with Edmonton. You know, can they mm-hmm. you know, do enough outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl to make a run? But I have them beating Toronto um, mm-hmm. to come out of the North. Mm-hmm. That's a seven-game series to me yeah Even with you know we've said what we've said about toronto too in their past i think you know they're a good team they've proven they can match up against these north division teams as well uh, i think they'll keep it close but i don't know i'm just i'm just feeling it for mcdavid and dry making somewhat of a run this year um but not enough as i will allude to out of the east call me bias whatever i have the bruins coming out of the east over the islanders like i said i have the islanders beating the penguins i just think the Bruins have had their struggles with the Islanders at points this season, but I think, you know, with this new identity, this depth, this more stability to this team, I think they could beat them. I think they could beat them fairly handily too. It's just the X factors of Arlomov; he can win games for that team, and mm-hmm. Pelican and are just a fantastic defensive pairing, and becoming one of the best in the league. Um, but yeah, I have the Bruins winning this in probably about six or seven. I don't think this will be a short series um, if it materializes. And uh, in the West, I have Colorado beating Vegas. That series is just going to be a, a slugfest. That's it's arguably the two best teams in the league mm-hmm. playing each other in the second round. This this is a seven game series. If it happens, I I don't see any other scenario. This is just going to be a boxing match type of series where you know whoever gets might get the lo- last lucky bounce fortunate to bounce their way wins the series mm-hmm. that one just has extreme potential to be a very very fun series to watch and then the central i have i have tampa beating carolina this is the matchup for carolina this scenario where i just don't think they have enough mm-hmm. um they could they can beat nashville they're a good team they're a better team they have a potential norris contender on defense now and a pretty well-rounded group around them but i think tampa would be too much um They're just, they're Tampa. They're, they did so well this season without Nikita Kucherov, and it's just kind of preposterous. People say what they want about the the long-term IR circumvention, but as far as I know, and what i've seen people on twitter say the people i trust you know the experts out there um it is within the rules so i have no reason to say it's cheating like some people but it it is awfully convenient i won't deny that yeah <laughs> um, but i have tampa coming out of the central i think they're the best team in that division even though they're a three seed um and then yeah those are my that's my final four edmonton boston colorado and tampa
0: um and then cup team who do you who do you have winning Hurts to say, but
1: it's Colorado's year. I think I I've had them since the beginning of the year. They've you know made me look good on that. I didn't really see a scenario where they didn't. There's just too much talent on that team. I think this is going to be the year they've done it. Uh, They do it rather. McKinnon wants a cup mainly. They're they're just too talented. There's too much there, and I think it's going to hold up in the playoffs. I think this group is ready. They're dynamic. They're skilled. They have a goalie that's you know fit fantastically in grubauer um i've i've colorado beating tampa in the cup finals i think this hurts me to say too but like i th- I think tampa would would beat the bruins i really do mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah i think i could see that happening you know um i'm just so excited because i think that you know past the first round their potential for some unbelievable series like i think In in the Central, you have potential for Carolina, Tampa Bay. In the West, you have potential for Vegas and Colorado, you know. And then even in the North, you get Toronto and Edmonton. I mean, McDavid and Matthews, who who doesn't want to see that? Yeah, unbelievable, Uh,
1: unbelievable.
0: You know, and then with the Bruins. But I think that, and I said this to someone this morning, I think that if the Bruins can get out of the uh, Washington series without someone getting hurt I don't think that there is a team that can beat them in the east like I think that they would beat Pittsburgh or the Islanders so I agree um, I have the Bruins coming out of the east I just think that the way that they're playing there's not many teams that can beat them so you know I have them coming out of there as far as the north you know I I like Toronto um I just think that you know Edmonton like I said I think Edmonton will go as far as Mike Smith will take them but I don't think that they can beat uh, Toronto just with the multiple guys that Toronto can throw at you um, in terms of goal scoring. So I like them to beat Edmonton, but I think that that series is going to be, you know, I want to be tight. Yeah. I think it's going to be very tight and could easily go the other way. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, that's
0: the thing about these playoffs is I have my own predictions for how I think it's going to go, but it could very easily go the other way. Um, Yeah. As far as the West, you know, I think Colorado gets out of there. I think that. They've just been, they've just been so good, and they just can beat you so many different ways. You know, you talked about Makar, um, and it's just, it's it's just unfair the amount of talent that they can roll out there. Yeah, um, it's absurd. And then in the central, you know, I think Tampa Bay comes out of there. I think that, you know, unless something drastic happens, you know, Tampa Bay is going to come out of there. So I don't really think that there's going to be much crazy stuff that happens past the first round. Um, and then, as far as winning the cup, I'm super biased, but I think it's the Bruins' year. I think they, I think, think I think they win. Um, you know, again, I'm not really going off of like logic because logic will tell you that you know Colorado or Vegas or Tampa Bay probably wins, but sometimes the playoffs don't make sense, and they are teams that just can get hot. And I think the Bruins are a team that is highly, highly motivated. And they have a guy on Taylor Hall who, you know, I think that if for the Bruins, for them to win the cup, Taylor Hall needs to play like an MVP. And I think based on what we've seen, I don't think it's that crazy for him to play like that. So I like the Bruins, you know, obviously me picking them probably means that they'll like lose to Washington in the first round. But. (laughs) Oh, man, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not.
1: I was thinking before the show, and it's good that you mentioned it. You know, we get Matthews and McDavid. And then on top of that, if if um, Edmonton moves on far enough, we could get McDavid versus McKinnon. Like My getting goodness. Matthews versus McKinnon, McDavid versus McKinnon in two straight rounds would just be preposterous. Yeah. Um, it'd be a nice way to market your league in a league, in a league that's going into a transition, mm. you know, going to ESPN in the future. Right. And I've seen a lot of change you know you got to market your star players and that's one way to do it if you know the cards fall that way but yeah i don't know man i like i want to pick the bruins i buy in on them every year but i just can't i can't bet against colorado and i think tampa bay um i think the bruins could be tampa bay but I'm, i'm leaning more towards tampa as i uh as i alluded to earlier it hurts you know i'm i'm Still very optimistic that the Bruins can do it, mm-hmm. but it's it's gonna be so hard and I, I hope they prove me wrong. I yeah.
0: really do. Yeah, well it'll be exciting. So uh Bruins Capitals kick off the playoffs tomorrow at seven fifteen. So uh that's gonna be a lot of fun. So uh Mike, thanks for joining me this week. Um do you wanna plug yourself and talk about what, what, what you're doing? yeah i mean
1: if you don't if you're listening you don't follow me on twitter you can follow me at mike underscore karate last name spelled c-r-a-t-t-y i say that because you know people sometimes struggle with spelling the last name because it's not the most common one out there um you can follow my podcast as well at sal and karate pod Um, follow us there we record every week sundays or mondays typically lately Uh, we drop episodes but, yeah, you can find my work on my Twitter. Um, my work at Black and Gold is linked in my bio. And just follow. You know, I, I'd like to think I put together some entertaining Twitter content. So yeah, follow me there and enjoy. If you don't follow already, welcome uh, for any prospective followers. But yeah. thank you to you. you no know, Good friends for so many years, but first time on um, the Not Your Average Boston Sports podcast. Yeah. is an honor. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I'm you know it's the best playoffs in sports, you know, we're biased, but you know we feel this way for a reason, yeah, um and I'm excited, man, I'm really, really excited, I hope the Bruins um can prove me wrong and capture that elusive Stanley Cup just in general, and for too Rask, I mean we'd be remiss to not want to see. Tukarask finally shut up the haters. the The haters will still talk smack about him. You know, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, he won this year, but what happened in 2019 when no one in on his team scored in Game Seven to the last two minutes?" But uh, we're just gonna ignore that because it doesn't fit our narratives. That's Tuukka Rask haters right there. But uh, I hope this is the year he does it, man. I really do. I really, really do. It it just be such a it just be such an fu to the the fans that doubt him. You know.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? Like as much as I think we'd love to see him back, I think it would be the most like awesome move ever if he just won the cup and retired. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! I'm going out on top—that'd just be like the
1: ultimate, like double middle finger to yes, all the haters. Exactly. Um, and yeah, just seeing the veteran core that you know we know won't be around forever. Right. I think they still got some time left. To win another one see nick richie win a cup like after after all the you know stuff he went through last year and the turnaround to cap it off with a cup in the second year my guy sean corrales if you follow me you know i'm a huge corrales guy oh, Seeing so you know, yes. him just go seeing him just go bonkers would be yeah. just hilarious and yeah. it's such an easy group to root for taylor hall in his first year too would be Absolutely. fantastic after all the criticism people have of him it's just a really easy group to root for a deep mm-hmm. group now and um, I hope they do it. I really do, and they can. But you know, like I said, I just don't. I don't have it in my bracket. But
0: yeah.
1: we'll anything see. can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs, man.
0: Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So once again, thank you to Mike Craddy for coming on the pod this week uh, to talk some playoffs and talk some Bruins. So before we switch gears to uh, the NBA, it just was worth to note that the NHL saw a couple of um, coaching uh, coaches get fired um, or not brought back in, you know, in nicer terms, I guess. Um, but the uh, Coyotes firing Rick Tockett after two seasons, I believe. Coyotes kind of had a uh, disappointing season. This season didn't really um, play much up to, you know, expectation. You know, still kind of an interesting mix of young players, but they just really... Uh, could not put it together this season. So Tockett is out in Arizona. Um, Obviously, kind of the most, the biggest news, I think, was David Quinn being out in New York with the Rangers. You know, I think that it made sense. You know, I think that when they brought him in a couple years ago, I forget how long ago it was, um, that, you know, he seemed like a good coach to bring in, you know, during a rebuild. But I think that now the Rangers are realizing, okay, you know, we have a team that's ready to compete i think that they you know need to get a coach that is you know ready to compete so uh, someone like Gerard Gallant i think would make a whole lot of sense you know he's a guy that has uh, one one in florida and uh, vegas obviously so i think that that would be a solid hire for the rangers you know I'd be curious to see what else um, they're thinking but i think that they're in good hands i think that you know, as long as they get a coach that, you know, will make sense for the, for the young nucleus of the team, but also for, you know, kind of the, not the veteran players because they're not exactly old, but, you know, the established players like the Panerans and the Zavanajads and all that. So um, that will be interesting to see. John Tortorella also out in Columbus, you know, like Arizona, they had a pretty disappointing season. Obviously the uh, trade for uh, Patrick Laine didn't exactly work out exactly as they had hoped, but Um, I still think that Columbus is a team that's pretty talented and, you know, if they can get the right coach to get, you know, the players kind of, I don't don't know really how to say it, but I think like just getting a coach that's going to be a good fit, you know, I think could work wonders for this team. I think that Tortorella may just have been the wrong coach for this group um, that maybe bringing in someone else can help kind of unlock more of their potential because they are a talented team. I mean, you look at, Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, I know Warinski got hurt toward the end of the season, um, but they do have a pretty good collection of, of players, so uh, that's a team that I'm very interested to see who they hire. Um, so I think that that will lead us to move on to the NBA, talk about the Celtics, and um, it seems that it's the play-in game for the Celtics, as actually with the loss against Cleveland, they... Um, are locked into the play-in, so the Celtics will be playing in uh, the play-in tournament. So uh, 7 and 8 play each other. Winner gets the 7 seed, Um, and then the loser plays the winner of the 9 and 10 game. So I think how it's looking right now, Celtics are 7th, Hornets are 8th, I think the Pacers are ninth, and then I think the Wizards are 10th. So um, if the Celtics do hang on to that 7 seed or the 8 seed, Um, All they have to do is win one game and they're in the playoffs. So, um, you know, it's just, I think it's, as you've seen with this team all year, you know, it's just going to be what it's going to be. And um, obviously it's not this season that any of us really expected, you know, obviously not the season that we wanted, you know, I think a lot of high expectation coming into the year, but um, things just haven't worked out and, um, I think that more and more, it's just, yeah, it's it's whatever this team is going to be. You really have no idea what you're going to get every night. You know, the Celtics are, you know, struggling to beat teams that are bad, you know, and obviously struggling to beat teams that are good. You know, it just was like those two games against the Heat, it just was like they dug themselves into big holes, you know, as they've kind of done all season and um, for some reason just can't stay focused in in games, and you know, you saw how they played on Sunday against the Heat, you know, 26-point deficit, you know, at the end of the half. Celtics storm back, and it's like, all you had to do was play decent basketball for the first half, and you probably would have won the game, and that's kind of just been the story, is the Celtics can't play with the tenacity and the focus and the motivation for a full 48 minutes. They can play in stretches, you know, and I think you you saw that, you know, on Sunday against the Heat with, you know, some runs that they came back in the game, but it's just, you know, for whatever reason, it's just, it's just not working out for them. So uh, the Celtics will have to earn their spot in the playoffs the hard way. Um, You know, I think that they should get out of the play-in. I really don't see a scenario in which they lose, you know, unless they really fall flat, but, you know, matching up against the Indiana Pacers or the Charlotte Hornets, you should be able to win that, win that game. Um, but obviously, you never know, but I think that you know the Celtics should be fine, you know if maybe they happen to lose one of the games, I think that they should be able to win you know one of them. So if the Celtics are able to win that first game, um, then they will get the seven seed they will most likely play the Brooklyn Nets. If the Celtics lose in the seven eight game, then they will play the winner of the nine ten nine ten game, and then the winner of that will become the eight seed. So Celtics are looking down the barrel of playing either Philadelphia or Brooklyn in the first round. So it's not looking good, I don't think. You know, I don't think that the Celtics really have a shot to beat either of those teams. Um, You know, I think that Philadelphia probably matches up better for the Celtics, that I think the Celtics could, you know, do well in a couple of those games. But I think winning a series against them is almost an impossible task. Um, And I also think even winning two games against the Nets, I think, would be difficult to expect you know i think that i wouldn't expect the celtics would last more than five games against the nets Um, maybe they win an extra game against philly you know if philly really crumbles under the pressure of being a number one seed um you know but i just think with the celtics now losing jalen brown they really don't have a lot of you know other guys that are going to threaten another team you know with jason tatum obviously he's been a tremendous player this season, you know, has been a threat to be all NBA. I don't know if he makes it, but, you know, he's been tremendous. But if he's really the only guy doing doing the work offensively, as we've seen the last couple of games, you know, I really don't think the Celtics can beat anyone, you know, and that's what makes me concerned that they really don't have enough to, you know, beat a team like that. Do they even have enough to beat a team like Charlotte or, you know Indiana or someone like that. So, you know, I think again, it's it's going to be what it's going to be. I think that it's it's very hard to have any sort of um, expectation for them um, the rest of the way. Play the Timberwolves and the Knicks their last two games. Celtics are pretty much locked into that seven or eight seed. So, don't really think that either of these two games matter much. You know, obviously they probably would like home court advantage. So, I think that they try to win one of these games. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, with Jalen Hurt, it's it's difficult for this team, you know, as they're kind of down a, a scorer and a really, you know, tremendous player. Um, but, you know, I think that there might be something to be said for the Celtics could have something to motivate them, you know, that they realize that, okay, Jalen's out and, you know, we have to keep fighting. We have to, you know, bring the effort and the work that's necessary. I think it's 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 hard to expect that based on what you've seen this season, but, You know, I think that it's possible that the Celtics could, you know, use that as motivation and, you know, really overachieve and play really well in the playoffs. I don't think it's enough to beat the one or the two seed, but I think it might be enough to, you know, make it an interesting series. You know, I think a team like Philadelphia is not really used to being kind of that top dog and that best team in the Eastern Conference. So I think that the Celtics, you know, logically could – make things difficult for the Sixers, but I don't think it would be enough to beat them. Um, And I think the Nets are, you know, are a different story. I just think that based on the way the Celtics have really been disinterested in playing defense, um, that's not a team that you want to play because, you know, James Harden just came back. You know, you have Harden, Durant, Kyrie Irving, you know, three of the most dangerous guys in the NBA, you know, that pretty much could score 40 at any, in any game, so... You know, not saying that oh the Celtics should you know intentionally lose the seven eight game, but you know you're looking and you're looking down the barrel of playing a Brooklyn Nets team you know that is just now maybe getting back to health. So you know that will be interesting to see. So the Celtics you know at the moment would be lined up to play the Charlotte Hornets in the first round um, or in the first play in game, first round of the play in game if if you want to call it that. Um, so Jalen Brown obviously the news a couple days ago that he is going to have season-ending wrist surgery um, not sure exactly when he suffered the injury um, you know there was a fall in the Oklahoma City game you know that made it look kind of interest. made it kind of look like maybe he had heard it during that play um, could have heard it a couple of weeks ago maybe against the Lakers I think that he had taken a spill in that game as well so you know, obviously it's tough, you know, because Jalen was having a tremendous season. You know, I think that despite all the inconsistencies of the Celtics this season, you know, he had been one of their best players. So, you know, it's, it's too bad. And it's also too bad that people are, you know, were questioning his commitment and whether he was in it for the money, uh, because apparently there was, there was a games played bonus that he got. I think that, You know, some people were saying, oh, well, you know, he just played through the injury to get money. And it's just like, I'm not even going to address that because Jalen Brown is a tremendous young man, is a tremendous human being, means so much to the Celtics and their organization that it just, I can't believe that there would be people that have the audacity to question his commitment like that, you know, but we do live in Boston and questioning people's commitment is kind of what people do for clout clout nowadays so really don't feel like addressing it but it just is too bad because Jalen was having you know a tremendous season so you know I think for the Celtics I think you know picking up some of the slack I think you see Aaron Neesmith play a lot more minutes you know Evan Fournier has been starting recently um, so you know I would expect that that would continue Um, and he's been playing great you know I think that another kind of one of the bright spots of the last few weeks is Fournier is really starting to kind of find a groove um, and really starting to be that knockdown shooter um, that the Celtics expected when they traded for him. And obviously, you know, it didn't go perfectly, you know, he missed his first 10 shots in his first game, um, you know, then had the bout with COVID, but I think he's really starting to kind of find a groove. And I think that him and Kemba Walker have been a really tremendous kind of duo in the last couple of games. Um, but I really think it's just defense and, and the lack of commitment that is kind of um, dooming the Celtics, that defensively, it's just, it's very hard for them to play with the same energy. It's very hard for them to play with the same energy, you know, throughout the whole game. And, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what that's a matter of. You know, I think that, you know, this summer, you could see a lot of changes. Um, Danny Ainge was on uh, Toucher and Rich this morning, you know, and mentioned that, Um, they probably are going to have some changes, you know, with the team, you know, made it clear that Brad Stevens is not going to be, you know, fired or anything, but, you know, you could see some roster change. And, you know, honestly, I think it's about time. I think that you have some guys in that roster that I don't know, really have not proved to me that they can be legitimate NBA players. Um, And so the Celtics, I think need to do a better job of getting some older veterans, on that roster. I mean, you look at the Heat, when the Celtics played them the other day, you have guys like Trevor Ariza, you have guys like Andre Iguodala, you have guys who've been around, you know, is it really necessary that they've won the championship? I don't really think so. You know, I think it's guys who just have been in the league for, you know, 10 or so years, understand what it takes to play and what it takes to, you know, bring it every single night. And I think the Celtics don't have enough of a veteran presence on that bench to kind of keep guys focused and keep guys being like, okay, you did this really well. You have to keep it going. I think that the Celtics, you know, have some guys like Tristan Thompson, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, that, you know, can be good, you know, can, can be a good veteran presence for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But I think that they need more of it, especially on the end of the bench. Um, I think they just have too many guys that are, G League players and that's pretty much it you know god bless Tremont Waters Taco Fall you know they work really hard as two-way players and I'm not saying that you know they've not worked hard because I think that they have but you're in the NBA and I think that the Celtics need to be as deep as they possibly can and I think the roster construction kind of failed this past this past offseason so you know I think that they they need to make some changes so Um, That will be interesting to see what happens this summer, but, you know, who knows with the Celtics and the rest of their season, uh, most likely they are going to play in that play-in game against Charlotte remains to be seen, whether they'll be um, a home game or not, you know, and then likely if the Celtics make it out of the play-in tournament, they are most likely playing the Nets or the Sixers. Um, So I think looking around the rest of the NBA kind of makes sense as we are right towards the end of the season. Um, Some of the playoff matchups have not been um, determined yet. So I think that with a couple games left, I'll probably give you guys a a playoff preview. I think once the play-in tournament is is over um, next week, uh, the NBA announced that they will create an award in honor of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think, based on uh, social justice. So that's a great thing to see from the NBA. Um, The Lakers raising their title banner last night um, winning last night and staying alive for the six seeds of the Lakers are in uh, danger of finishing in that play-in tournament. Um, and Victor Oladipo is going to have season-ending surgery on his knee. So uh, really it's been an unfortunate last couple of years for, for Victor Oladipo. Um, has had a number of injuries and just really can't seem to stay healthy. And I think the Heat you know, made a reasonable trade for him you know, at the deadline, but really was not able to make much of an impact before the injury. So, looking at the standings, the Sixers are in first place a game and a half ahead of the Nets. The Nets only have two games left, so it looks like the Sixers will finish um, in first place. And then you have the Nets, the Bucks, the Hawks are in fourth place. So So this might change. The Hawks are in fourth, Heat are in fifth, Knicks are in sixth. Uh, possibility that those three teams change, you know, but mentioning, you know, the Bucks also, those four teams, the Bucks, Hawks, Heat, and Knicks, you know, some combination will play each other. Um, Hawks and the Heat at the moment, Bucks and the Knicks at the moment. Uh, and then the play in Celtics, Hornets, and Pacers. Um, and then the Wizards are in 10th place. The Bulls are two and a half games back with three games to play. So, Washington looks like they're going to clinch that maybe tonight or tomorrow, uh, depending on whenever their next game is. Um, So it is interesting that the Hornets and the Pacers are tied, um, have the same record with um, three games left. The Hornets do have the tiebreaker, but possibility that the uh, Pacers pass the Hornets um, into eighth place. The Celtics, you know, game and a half up on the Hornets and Pacers. Doesn't look like they're going to, you know, fall back in the standings. Um, So most likely you see the Celtics host the Pacers or the Hornets um, at the Garden for the play-in game. And then, you know, the nine seed will play the Wizards. Um, And then in the Western Conference, you have the Jazz, who are a couple days away from clinching the top seed. Um, They um, are followed by the Suns in 2nd. Clippers in third, Nuggets in fourth, Um, and then there's a little bit of, there's a pretty good amount of space between four and five. Uh, The Trailblazers are in fifth, Mavericks in sixth, Uh, Lakers are currently in seventh, just a game behind Dallas. Each team has two games left to play, so the Lakers still very well, very much in danger for that play in game. Uh, The Warriors and the Grizzlies have already clinched a spot in the play in, so they are in, and then you have the Spurs. That are two games ahead of the Kings, uh, with three games to play. So it looks like the Spurs will be there. Uh, it'd be very interesting if we see Laker, if we saw Lakers and Warriors in the play-in, um, and then Memphis and the Spurs in the nine ten game. At the moment, um, it looks like the Spurs are pretty locked into the ten seed. Uh, Memphis and Golden State are only separated by half a game, so there's a chance that those that those teams might change. Um, and then that seven spot is going to be either the Lakers, the Trailblazers, or the Mavericks uh, for that final play-in spot. So you have Houston that, um, I think, by a good margin, has the worst record in the league. So they will have the best odds in the draft lottery. Celtics do not have, do not have another team's lottery pick this season. So, or do not have another team's first-round pick, I should say. So they just have their own. So obviously, if the Celtics drop out of the play-in, then there's a chance that they could get a somewhat of a decent lottery pick. Um, so that's something to keep your eye on. So we'll move to baseball, move to the Red Sox. They have been having a little bit of trouble uh, recently. They've been a little off and on. You know, ever since that um, those two wins against the Mets, the Red Sox have kind of been all over the place. So since that series, they've lost three out of four to Texas, one three out of, or one, two out of three against Texas, or against, okay, let me start again. They lose three out of four to Texas. They win two out of three against Detroit, win three out of four against the Orioles, and have lost the first two games of this series with the Oakland Athletics. So um, it's kind of been all over the place. Red Sox still in first, obviously, but you know, I think that it's starting to appear that, okay, you know, we are past the hot start and we're kind of into the rest of the season. Um and the Red Sox I think really need to you know start being a little bit more consistent because, you know, there are teams in the American League East that can get hot very quickly, you know, and could and could bypass them. So, you know, it's it's still a solid start for the Red Sox, but they're losing a lot of games recently. Um, they've really been struggling to score, you know, which is kind of unlike them. But again, you know, as I said last week, it's a 160 game season. You're going to have stretches where the offense has a hard time. And that's kind of what you're seeing right now. You know, you'll have stretches where, you know, the pitching isn't great. We haven't really seen that yet, which I think at least is encouraging that the starting pitching is, you know, been pretty solid. Rodriguez obviously gave up some runs last night, um, in his start, but, For the most part, I mean, you're not having pitchers that are giving up six, seven runs, you know, in a game. You're not getting bad starts, which I think is kind of a silver lining that, okay, they're getting solid enough pitching. It's just the hitting that, you know, kind of has gone cold a little bit recently uh, with three straight losses. Red Sox will try to snap the skid against Oakland tonight with their last game. The Red Sox then will play uh, three games at Fenway against the Angels and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani not sure whether he is pitching in this series but he will definitely be in the lineup so that will be kind of exciting for uh, people to watch get to see Otani you know assuming that you're not staying up and watching the uh, Angels games at nine, ten o'clock because they play on the west coast but uh, it will be interesting to see you know always a treat to see uh, Mike Trout play here so um, that'll be interesting see how the Red Sox do but um you know, I think that there are a few guys that are starting to, you know, perform a little bit better offensively. I think the Red Sox obviously are going through a little bit of a rough stretch right now, but, you know, Xander Bogarts has been incredible in the last couple of weeks. You know, I think that he's a guy that definitely has shot up some, you know, MVP leaderboards. He now, I think, leads baseball and hits, um, has seven home runs, 20 RBIs, uh, 333 batting average. He's been tremendous. You know, Martinez, J.D. Martinez, still hitting very well. I wrote an article on him uh, earlier in the week, so if you want to go check that out. Um, Devers has also been, you know, hitting pretty well as of late. You have uh, Marwin Gonzalez and Hunter Renfro, you know, starting to hit the ball a little bit better. I think Renfro has had, I think at one point it hits in like six consecutive games. Um, He now has four home runs, 17 RBIs, his batting average up to uh, 219. So that at least is encouraging uh, for the Red Sox. But I think that obviously it's the, the hitting with runners in scoring position, the situational hitting, um, I think has let them down in the last couple of games. So I think that that's something that obviously you need to be better at. You know, I think that, again, though, it's a long season and you'll have stretches like this. But I think the important thing is, you know, you're trying to see the positive signs from guys, even if the team's not playing well. Um, And you see positive things from Bogarts, from Devers, uh, from Hunter Renfro. So, you know, it's the the season will go the way that it goes. But I think it's still, you know, it's been a good, exciting start to the season for the Red Sox. Thirty eight games in, I don't really think anyone thought they were going to be in first place um, in the American leagues or in the American League East. So. You know, it's been a good start. Hopefully that they can kind of buck the trend that's been happening recently and try to be a little bit more consistent, um, you know, string some wins together. Um, so looking at their upcoming schedule in the next couple of weeks, obviously you mentioned the uh, three-game set against the Angels this week, um, or this weekend. Red Sox then will travel to uh, Toronto early next week, or middle of next week, and then they will play Philadelphia next weekend in Philly. um, And then they close out the month of May, two games against Atlanta, three games against Miami. Those five games are at home. Then on the last day of May, Red Sox open a four-game set against the Houston Astros in Texas. So that's what's kind of next up for the Red Sox as we kind of look around Major League Baseball. uh, The Yankees have had some COVID positives on their staff. Um, So yeah, you know, I think unfortunately that's still happening You have um, players and coaches that have gotten vaccinated, but you're still seeing uh, some positives and things like that. So um, I think that that's unfortunately something you're going to have to keep an eye on. But I think at least, you know, the good thing is players and teams are getting vaccinated. So, you know, hopefully you don't see any postponements if there don't need to be. Um, So I think, you know, looking at the standings, Red Sox uh, actually were bypassed by Oakland. Uh, last night with the loss. So Oakland now is uh, the owners of the best record um, in the American league at 23 and 15. Red Sox obviously still in first. But um, as I said, the New York Yankees are not a team to take lightly as they are just a game back of first place uh, as they have won four straight games and eight out of their last 10. So they are at 20 and 16. Blue Jays are a game and a half back of first place. Um, Then in the central, you have the White Sox in Cleveland. That have been kind of neck and neck for the last couple of weeks. White Sox have won five straight, Cleveland's won three straight. And then you have the Royals, who, you know, Eric Bellier was telling me uh, a couple of weeks ago, hey, look out for the Royals. And uh, they have proceeded to lose 10 straight games. So uh, they have dropped back to 16 and 19, five and a half games back of first place. And then obviously Oakland, first in the West, a two and a half game lead against the Astros. Um, in the National League, Eric's Mets are in first place, 18-13 um, over the Phillies. Mets, obviously, um, still have not played as many games because of some postponements, uh, but they are currently in first place. They've won seven straight games, um, and eight out of their last ten. Cardinals are in first place in the Central at 22-15, and 15, just two games up on the Brewers, and then the San Francisco Giants. The surprising Giants are two games in first place, ahead of the Padres, two and a half games up on the Dodgers, who have been uh, struggling a little bit out of the gate. Um, I think they had a tremendous start as, I think they were like 13-2 and two or something, but obviously they've been on a bit of a slide, 4-6 uh, and six in their last 10, um, despite winning their last two. So, you know, it's, again, very interesting that you're seeing not too many teams that have broken away, you know, from the pack. You know, I think a lot of people assume the Dodgers were going to do that, but, you know, ultimately kind of came crashing down. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what's next for, for them. Um, so taking a look at the Revolution as we're moving on, Revolution with a tie against Philadelphia last night, you know, a game that not a whole lot happened until the last couple of minutes. Revolution get a big go-ahead goal by Teal Bunbury, And then uh, the Union were able to tie the game a couple minutes later. Um, You know, it's unfortunate. I think the Revolution definitely got uh, the raw end of the deal on the tying goal. Matt Turner very clearly gets elbowed in the face. Um, They let the goal stand, and, you know, it is what it is. The Revolution, I think, shouldn't be too upset. You know, getting a point on the road anytime you can do that, I think, is huge. Um, Revolution have... Uh, had three games on the road, and they've gotten points in two of the three, two ties. Um, you know, I think road points are huge, especially in the MLS. So you have to really take advantage of, you know, those road games and try to, you know, get the goals, get points, so that you can stay up in the standings. And the Revs, you know, have had a pretty good start. Two wins, two ties, and one loss. Had their first loss in Nashville last weekend. The Revolution will play Sunday evening at Gillette against the Columbus Crew, um so, you know, hopefully Matt Turner's okay after the elbow. Um Gustavo Bo did not start the last game, but uh did come in as a substitute. So um yeah, you're seeing a lot of kind of I don't want to say new players because you know it's mostly the same the same group, but um Arnor Tristesen from Iceland has played some games for the Revs. He's a new addition. Uh, Lucas Maciel from Brazil has also played a couple games. Um, he's been a really uh, pleasure. He's been a pleasure to watch um, a young, the young Brazilian has started the last three games for the revolution. Um, so obviously Columbus crew revolution with a rematch of the um, Eastern conference final from last season revolution will host Columbus at six o'clock on Sunday evening. So, Uh, Stay tuned for that if you are interested. Um, And before we go, it made sense to uh, touch on the WNBA as they will start their season um, on Friday night with uh, four games, Indiana against New York, Connecticut against Atlanta, Phoenix, Minnesota, and Dallas and Los Angeles. Seattle Storm, obviously the defending champs, Brianna Stewart was incredible in the bubble. Um, So I think the Storm are definitely a team that could Uh, challenge to win again Um, the Vegas Aces after losing in the uh, finals last year losing Angel McCutry uh, to a torn ACL so that's really too bad Um, but you know I think that you know you saw with the the women's tournament uh, the, the the March Madness you saw a lot of really good talent and a lot of good talent you know coming into the WNBA so I think that this will be an exciting season Um, you know, obviously after the success of the, the Wubble last season, um, I think that there's all the reason in the world to be, um, excited about the WNBA this season. I think taking a look at, um, some power rankings, I was looking at that yesterday, um, the Aces I think open up as a preseason favorite, um, as they obviously lost in the finals last year, but um, I think that you could see some, some challenges at the top. Um, you know, uh, I think it was Chicago bringing in, um, Candace Parker, um, who is, you know, not, not getting any younger, but I think that, you know, it was a really interesting, this, it was a interesting addition for them because I think that they're in a position that, you know, bringing in someone who, you know, even at her age still is a tremendous player, um, I think that I think that it's just kind of a good kind of go for it move. So um, I really like that. I think that's a team that definitely you should keep your eye on. Um, if it's not uh, Vegas and Seattle kind of dominating the the headlines this season, so uh, it was actually both Vegas and uh, Seattle were eighteen and four in the Wubble last year, and then they met up in the finals. So. Um, Season gets underway on Friday. You'll have games um, on NBA TV. I think there'll be some games on CBS Sports. And, you know, obviously there'll be some games on ESPN. So definitely tune into that if you are interested. Um, And that probably does it for for, for me this week. Uh, Again, you know, huge thanks to Mike Pratty for coming on the podcast, talking some Bruins. Bruins and Caps get going on Saturday night in Washington, D.C., so good luck to the Bruins. Um, Everyone, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, we will talk to you next week and talk some NBA playoffs. All right, guys, have a good one.